Reynolds, and Age of Sigmar Storyface. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path to the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Van Winniverse this episode are... I'm Paul. You've heard of Heldenhammer. But how about Heldenfolks? <clears throat> Get it? Because Held as a folks. Okay, sure. Uh, oh, fair okay. enough. I mean, it's oh, yeah, all right. I mean, Paul, we're supposed to be doing our best work here. We have a guest. I, I thought it was Sigma. <laughs> we'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, if you don't plan on reading any short stories or novels from the, the author we're going to talk to, you really need to put on your crown of shame. <laughs> and I'm Aaron, and I bring the wars with me. And if they aren't there when I come, they always are when I leave. Mm. And in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Black Library author Noah Van Wyn about all things Warhammer, Black Library, and why he seems to have such a big problem with Sigmar. Noah, thanks for joining us. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Um, thrilled you guys invited me, so thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, an inaugural Black Library author uh, interview. Um, we're just, I mentioned it before we started recording, we're just winging it. There's no there's no structure, no uh, system in place. It's really throwing me for a loop. I don't like not having a structure, but we're going we're gonna to make it up as we go. Um, we're, we're the train's putting the tr- laying the track as it runs along. So um, thanks for joining us and, and diving into this experiment with us. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So uh, like I said, we're going to be interviewing Noah. He's got a new book coming out that we're going to also talk about as well. So we're excited to touch on that. But so I suppose we'll just dive in. Let's just get right to it. So, uh, Noah, before we talk about your new book, I want to know more about you. These are these are Noah questions, uh, essentially, uh, that we're going to be sending your direction. And so um, it's it's nice to actually be able to talk with somebody who's relatively newer to the Black Library scene, because I feel like uh, we can get at the uh, it's more fresh, right? This, the early days of starting to work for a Black Library. And so I'd love to hear about what that process has been and really how you got started in uh, the Warhammer space. So let's let's cast our eyes backwards and take a look at um, how you even got into the Warhammer hobby in the first place in Games Workshop. Um, what uh, what has been your journey or experience there? Uh, well, I think like uh, the same for a lot of uh, Warhammer fans that started when I was younger. So I had a friend who actually brought a blood letter into school one day and I saw it when I was like 12 years old. And I'm like, that is the coolest. They're like, What is this thing? Uh, and then he explained uh, Warhammer to me, explained Wargaming to me. I convinced my dad to take me up to the nearest uh, games workshop. It was like an hour away. Oh, geez. Drive. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I got there and I saw the miniatures. I saw people playing and I just I fell in love with it. Uh, and, you know, I started playing I started playing Warhammer 40K. I never got into fantasy. This was way before Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just kind of sustained the, ho- the hobby for a long time. Uh, got into the got into the writing space with fan fictions mostly. That's that's a question that somebody asked, so we'll, I want to <laughs> touch on that as well. Um, what was your first forty k army? Uh, so Tau Tau, and they're nice. still by far like my biggest army by far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what what uh, I, mean, I know this is Age of Sigmar podcast, but what drew you to the Tau? What 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 got their hooks in you? Uh, well, so when I was twelve, that was around when the tower released. Uh, oh. So they were the new new kids on the block. New hotness, yeah. Yeah, and then I kind of I think they get a lot of they get a lot of heat for this. Uh, their kind of design aesthetic is really different from a lot of forty mm-hmm. oh, k yeah. armies or Warhammer armies. Uh, but that actually I thought that was a really attractive quality about the army. I thought it was interesting, neat. Uh, and then the lore too was there was a lot there I think to unpack. Uh, which that you know some of that might be what drew me to writing fan fiction for Warhammer in the first place is that the setting was so rich. 
Oh, sure. And there's just a lot of opportunities for fans to do their own take on it, to kind of take the ball and run their way with it. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you, you bring it up, and so there's a question about it. So I, we, I asked some of the Discord folks if uh, they had any questions that they wanted us to ask you so we could be sort of their surrogate. Um, and uh, Fredericks in the Discord had asked if you'd written any uh he specifically has asked AOS lore uh, or stories before writing for Black Library. It sounds like it was more of a 40K bent. Um, what, what sorts of stuff were you writing back then or you know, more recently then? Right. So, again, it was when I was younger, it was mostly uh, 40K fan fiction, military fiction type stuff. Okay. And okay. I would say, so I, okay, so back when they released Age of Sigmar, I was one of the skeptics, right? I was one of these people who were thinking, like, how could they top? Warhammer fantasy. Sure, sure. How can you top that? You're not alone. And, there are plenty yeah. of people. Yeah. <laughs> Where can you go from here? The world exploded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I kind of watched from the sidelines uh, as the setting and the game developed. And then my first real exposure to it was actually my second story with Black Library when I pitched an Age of Sigmar story um, just because I was, I was interested in writing as much as possible. And, uh, Age of Sigmar was a great way to kind of expand my attack surface, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> From uh, as many directions as you can, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, so the strangest thing happened. So first of all, I was really happy with the story I turned out with them. Uh, and second of all, just while I was doing the research for the story, I realized, holy crap, setting is awesome. <laughs> there's so much, like there's so much that's already been done. There's so much room for it to grow. It's just wonderful. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, it's, it's since that first story, I'd say it's overtaken 40K probably for me. Oh, nice. Oh, fandom. cool. Sure. Well, I mean, I was just perusing. I mean, I, was, I wanted to make sure I read everything that you'd put out on the Age of Sigmar side. And so I was, mm -hmm. you know, did the search to see all the stuff. And obviously it's more, it has a more Age of Sigmar bent at this point. Um, so that makes sense then that mm -hmm. it seems as if maybe you're preferring it. So would you say that you always considered yourself a writer? Or has that always been a passion for you? There, I think um, I have the same kind of writerly insecurities that a lot of writers have where like you're afraid to call yourself a writer so that um so you know on the one hand i i definitely am and have been a writer for a long time in the sense that i've been writing just writing 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 um but it's hard to really i think it's hard for a lot of writers to give themselves the space to say i am a writer until they have some kind of accomplishment that they can stand on or, or something they can show to people and say this is why i'm a writer um I've gotten over that and I realized it shouldn't, it shouldn't have taken me as long as it took me <laughs> to get over that. Sure, same, yeah, fair is, enough. same is true for a lot of writers, but at this point, yes. I yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you've got, you've got a Black Library novel coming out and I don't know anything <laughs> before Black Library, but at the very least, I mean, a novel coming out, I think probably cements the fact that you were a writer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good solid point. On yeah. Twitter, I think you said you got that novel yesterday or something like that or today. Oh yeah, I saw that. Oh. Oh, yeah, that was an awesome surprise. Yeah, so we get promotional copies of our work. And, um, you know, I just opened the door. Went to, I was going to pick my wife up from work and saw um, it's like there's a telltale box that I get from Games Workshop. And I know there's novels or books in it when I get up. And I saw it and I'm just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Took it in. Oh, super awesome. exciting. Yeah. Do you, did you sign your own copy so you had a signed copy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, should. I should. I would totally do that. Um, kind of related to that, um, this question comes from Scripps on the Discord, but 
Uh, do you have anything else that's like published before writing for Black Library? I know you said you've been writing for a while, but have you? Do you have anything else out there for people to pick up and read? Not yet. Uh, it's hopefully in the works. Uh, so what got me basically what started me on this path of professional writing is I had written a separate novel completely unrelated to Warhammer. And I managed to get an agent uh, to represent me, my wonderful agent, Evan Gregory with Ethan Ellenberg Literary Agency. And he, I think, recognized in the novel that I had written, which ultimately didn't sell, unfortunately, but he recognized probably some qualities that were favorable for Warhammer writing and said, Hey, oh. um, have you ever heard of these guys? <laughs> would, you, would you like to work with them? And then at that point, Oh my God, that was, that was a, that was a, that was a shocker too. Just to get that introduction from him, uh, be able to pitch the black library and then ultimately to, you know, to write stories with them. That, that's gotta be uh, an interesting feeling of having like, I don't know if they're painted or not, but a huge towel collection. And then someone going, you know, you should write for these black library guys. I can hook you up. (laughs) Yeah, it it was definitely a surreal feeling. I mean, I, I didn't really, I was like thinking there's probably no way this is going to lead anywhere until, you know, I get an email from uh, one of the black library editors, Richard Garten bills now. Um, And it's like, yeah, it's like, this is real. (laughs) This is real. That's awesome. That's great. Um, I feel like you've answered a question that another Discord member, uh, a, a patron of the show, thank you very much, a Celtic was asking is what drew you uh, to writing Black Library stories, but it sounds as if, you know, between your history of Warhammer and this sort of uh, serendipitous um, introduction, like, is really what kicked off the process. For yeah. sure. um, so, was there, was is the open submissions window part of that at all, or, or did, did you circumvent that uh, process? I don't know much about it, but... Um, I circ- so yeah, I kind of circumvented the process. Um, publishing, as with many things, it's one of those things where kind of uh, if you meet the right people and if you have the right skills, it can really help out a lot. Uh, there is <laughs> there was one open submissions where after I'd already um, started writing with Black Library, I submitted it. Uh, I submitted an open submissions anyways, <laughs> and uh, the, the same the same editor actually got back to me. He's like, "Hey, this is <laughs> this is awesome. Let's talk about this sometime." Uh, we've both unfortunately been too busy to ever get back to it, but oh, dang it. that was pleasant. That's fun. I think there's, I think there's an open window, like maybe right now. Perhaps. Like, yeah, just open. Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah. my inclination would be to ask, well, do you have any re- suggestions for people who are doing that open submissions window? But I mean, you kind of went around it, but that's not to say that you maybe wouldn't have suggestions. Otherwise, I don't know if now's the right time in the interview to talk about it, but I already brought it up and I can't take it back. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> just r- r- real quick, I guess, do you have any thoughts on what, what some, someone could do to like excel in that um, situation mm. setting? So I think probably two tips, right? So the biggest tip, uh, well, let's say three tips, but the, the first two tips really come together. And those two are really, you got to know the material and you got to know how to write, right? Now, the thing is, I think I actually suspect that uh, most of the open submissions, most of the writers who are submitting for that, I think they probably meet those qualifications. Like they probably, they probably know how to write. They probably know the lore well enough if they're interested enough to submit in the open submissions. So then kind of the third the third thing that I'd say would be crucial would be to do something new uh, and do, do it in a kind of fearless way. Because you really, you got to think, I mean, the, the editors are working through probably thousands of submissions. 
So you have to find some way to really, um, to really get eyes on your manuscript. And it's, it's more than just, I think like a good hook, right. Or like, um, an excellent story structure. I think it's important to do something, um, kind of, I wouldn't say groundbreaking, obviously, cause you can't break the lore. Right. Try as you might. Yeah. Yeah. But you definitely want to have something there, uh, that, an editor or even another fan would look at and say, that is a cool, cool idea. I'd like, I'd love to see a story about that. I have kind of a follow-up question to the, why do you like Warhammer? And for me, it's more of like, what about the Warhammer universe, 40K or Age of Sigmar, is something that you as a writer feel that you can dig into and carve out your own space? Like, why, why is that the thing that interests you? So, the two things about Age of Sigmar, and one of these uh, Aaron's already commented on <laughs> about is my feelings towards Sigmar uh, and towards <laughs> Empire. Um, so there's that, which I think that's come out in a lot of my work. Uh, and then there's also kind of the weird space that Age of Sigmar occupies. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at Age of Sigmar as, as a setting, just kind of at a, as a glance, you think, okay, you know, high fantasy, like magic orcs, like you know, all the all the elements are there, elves are there and stuff. Um, but I think in reality, Age of Sigmar is actually a lot, a lot weirder. I think you guys obviously realize this. I've listened to your right. podcast. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot weirder than that. There's a lot of space to really play with people's expectations from high fantasy. Uh, so that that would definitely be the number one attraction for me. That's kind of my favorite thing to play with. So then I got a follow-up question. Did you hate Sigmar in the old world too? Or is this like more of a Mortal Realms thing? Tell us about I your don't... feelings of Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> he has. He's written many stories about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, asking me as, like as a person, like if I if I if I know of Anne Wynn was like in the mortal realms, I would definitely worship Sigmar. Like, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you send your stormcast here. Safest bet. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I think there's a lot of space to kind of question what Sigmar does, and especially if you're not kind of under his aegis, um, and especially you know, as as I touch upon in the novel that are, that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, for the slaves to darkness, like why? Why would they? Why would they reject Sigmar when he's so clearly, like, looking from the top down? He's so clearly the best choice. Uh, and I think searching the for the answer to that question brings you to a lot of interesting places. So, yeah, I, this is just kind of a comment, but I've always been fascinated by the idea of somebody who's functionally agnostic in a world where the gods walk the realms and you know that they exist, right? Or like it, it's a really interesting space because there's so many different ways that you can play from that angle. So, and I, I, I enjoyed reading about that in, in several of your stories. It's, it's fun to like play with that reality and play with that idea. Um, yeah, as I say, you're gonna your upcoming novel talks about it from the slaves of darkness side, but I really appreciated the short story you wrote, uh, Nadir, that had a stormcast who like also kind of like has mixed feelings about the big guy, which is a super cool like take on it. <laughs> Someone who like works for him and is like, yeah, he's cool, I guess, sort of. You'd think it'd be more common, right? And so but the fact that it isn't <laughs> meant that it was a uh, definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, 
I think we can talk. There's more questions about what it means writing for Black Library, so we'll we'll get to those. But since we brought up the book, I think now is a great time to bring up uh, Gotti, Your Son, that is coming out. Is it is it tomorrow? I feel like I couldn't pre-order it on Black Library. I need to go double check the website because um, I normally do. Um, so. Well, this that that'll be this segment. We're going to do this segment right now. We're going to talk about God Eat Your Son. Um, so how how did the story come to be? Like, let's let's um, start at the beginning. Um, what what can you tell us about how this story was created or generated? Uh, sure. So, like, uh, I think really for all the authors at Black Library, they kind of have, uh, you know, they have different strengths, different weaknesses. They have different factions they like to write for, different factions they don't like to write for, and so. Clearly, I think editors get the editors who work there who are excellent. They get a really good feel for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look at our. I think I'm pretty sure they look at our work and kind of. I suspect that they talk among them amongst themselves and kind of mm-hmm. banter. You know, who do you think would be good for this? Who do you think would be good for that? And uh, so ultimately, what happened for me is when I kind of made it through the pipeline to the point where they're like, "This guy can write a novel for us." Uh, one of the editors who's in charge of the Age of Sigmar line, Hannah Hughes who is a fantastic editor, uh, emailed me and she said, hey, would you be, this was right after Nader, by the way, with uh, Kalthia Zandar. Uh, and she said, would you be interested in writing this novel of, for the Slaves to Darkness? And like, heck yeah. <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> nice. um, and just kind of coming in from a different angle, it, it was interesting for me because chaos was always something, any kind of chaos faction was always something that I could never really kind of get my hands around. I could never really understand why would who would who would join these guys who looks at that and says i want to do that you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, but so this was an opportunity to do that but essentially uh she so she sent me a brief with just some ideas uh of what we could start from uh like what a good end stay what would be for us uh and then basically i took that kind of very general brief and started playing with it i got some pitches to her we went back and forth with the pitches. Uh, I hammered out a synopsis. She gave me some feedback. It was a very typical kind of you know, writing feedback process. And then eventually we got to the point where we we're both like, yeah, this looks really cool. Let's start this. Let's get started on this. It's a, a small thing, but it's like a part of that process. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, I recommend looking at the cover uh, for God Eater Sun because Held in Our Fall looks super cool. Uh, I was going to ask, like, did you have any, because I know in the short story, Crown of Flames, you kind of describe him a bit, but did you have any say in like how he looks like any say in like what he would look like on the cover or anything like that? Yeah, I would, I would say most of it was uh, kind of how I described him from the writing. Uh, And then I, I, the other stuff was kind of left undescribed. So I'm like, I'm glad the artist filled in the blanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But yeah, I mean, we, me and again, me and Hannah had a conversation after we had already sent um, the manuscript into the editing pipeline about what he'd look like for the cover, and that was a that was an interesting conversation as well. Um, but yeah, the short answer to the question is yeah. I guess I never thought to like ask like what comes first the cover. I mean, because a lot of times the cover images are of characters that already exist, right? But like, do the words or the image of something come first? And I guess I never thought about it. But that's yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, did you write the short story before or after you wrote the novel? Afterwards, afterwards. Okay, yeah. I thought yeah. Well, it, I, it's interesting because I, I keep asking myself like, is this a better story to read before the novel or after the novel? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Okay. Sure. 
that's a question that we should be asking you, but now I know that you don't know the answer, so that's fine. Right. Um, yeah. for, fortunately, it came out first, so like the decision was made for us. But um, for anybody you, else who hasn't picked it up yet, yeah. Did you have the artwork for the novel when you wrote the short story? Um, to be honest, I don't recall. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think at that point it had not. Uh, I had not. I had not gone to gander at it yet. Uh, so time got like since the pandemic began, times kind of like melted mm-hmm. together. Yeah, it's weirdly wobbly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, um, this is your first book that's published, uh, first novel that's published, right? Correct. So this is the first time that you've had a piece of art commissioned for your work. Yes. Right. <laughs> so yes. How was, like, how did that feel to be like, no, 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 we're going to do this, and like this is where I wanted to be standing or, you know, like, did you have any input on where he's going to be standing or just here's the character, make it look cool. We'll run from there. Uh, so Hannah essentially kind of ran her thoughts by me, which is her, her impressions. And she's like, does this sound right? First of all. Uh, and then second of all, is there anything else uh, that you think is essential that we should capture in him? Um, so I, I shared my thoughts on that matter. And I tried, you know, I tried to give a few kind of like, um, kind of like a, a, a kind of guidelines, I guess, uh, that the author could take and not feel like they were compelled to kind of, you know, shoehorn these details into the illustration. Cause obviously I'm, I'm not a visual artist, you know, I don't know what works for, uh, I, I, I could see an image and say that looks cool, but I couldn't, I couldn't compose one myself. So with that in mind, I, I tried to be specific and general at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it worked because the artist, <laughs> there's a lot of details in the illustration that I recognized from the novel. That was just fantastic to see. I'm looking oh, at it right cool. now again. It's cool. Sick. Yeah. Um, was it fun? Did you enjoy that process? The back and forth? Oh, in regards to the illustration yeah, or yeah, yeah. the art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was really, it was really interesting. Um, so uh, part of like part of what came out when we were discussing it and part of what kind of uh, drove how I characterized Helton our fall uh, is that I had previous I previously served in the Marine Corps. And so I'd previously been on a deployment in Afghanistan. Um, and so I tried to kind of draw upon those experiences. Right. I, uh, for the novel where obviously Sigmar's armies, as far as Helton are concerned, Helton is concerned, they're foreign occupiers. And while this wasn't universally the case with Afghans, there were definitely um, locals that you'd interact with and you get a very clear impression, you know, these people do not like me. They do not want me here. And they had, they had every right to feel that way, you know? And so um, I basically, I tried to, I, I kind of shared some of those thoughts with Hannah as well, who passed them on to the artist. And I mean, it was, again, it was really interesting because I think he captured uh, a lot of the, rage of someone who's been you know who's seen foreign soldiers in his homeland sure yeah I'm glad we asked actually that's something that i wouldn't have thought of but like definitely good insight very interesting um I, I do have a question what is it like writing for a character model that's already been sculpted versus writing for a character that doesn't exist like how does that change your writing process because for zandire right and for yeah. Andrasta. Andrasta. Those are models that exist, right? So. Zandire, if I recall correctly, I did not see her model by the time I had written. 
I, oh, I cool. had no idea what. She, well, she was described to me. Let me mm-hmm. clear that up. <laughs> so I also received a brief for Nader, kind of describing the characters uh, mm-hmm. and how they would look when they were released. So I hadn't seen her yet, and I'm glad because I think if I had seen, um, if I had seen the miniature, you know, I think kind of when you see something, when you especially when you see a person, right, even if it's an illustration or a model. Probably there's probably certain subconscious kind of biases and prejudices that start to work that will kind of affect how you characterize the the person in the story. So uh, in that regard, I'm really glad I didn't see before I had started. Yeah, as in to kind of like build off of that, you you wrote with Andrasta, who is like she's on the cover of the core rulebook. So what was it like like writing for a character that? does like have so much meaning to the setting and everything like that. Oh, that was scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Because you think like these, these, you know, Warhammer is definitely one of those settings where the personalities have a huge impact on everything that happens. Uh, So that was, it was scary. It felt like a huge responsibility because you have to, you really have to pull something out that will satisfy the fans kind of, uh, subvert their expectations in a pleasing way, but also meet them in a pleasing way. So hmm. scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fortunately with Indrasta, she's relatively new enough, right? That she doesn't have as much baggage for like fans to have glommed onto. So I feel like that maybe was working in, in your favor, but at the same time it is a, you know, she's on the cover of the book. So they're like, you mentioned there's some weight behind her uh, as well. Um, do you, I guess I hadn't thought this question through, but like in terms of now that you've done a little bit of both from like an original character perspective and folks that have already existed in the setting. Do you have, do you have a preference? Like, do you prefer one type or the other? I feel like I have a guess, but I shouldn't assume, um, writing one or the other type of character. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, a preference. I don't know if I'd say I'd have a preference cause I think it's interesting. It's really interesting to write about anybody to really get into trying or try is the better word to get into somebody else's head. Uh, and so what's interesting about writing uh, established characters is that you kind of already, you know, you have some precedents that you can work off of. Um, there might be some contradictions in the lore. You might have to explain those. Uh, you might have leeway. You might have you might have more leeway. You might have less leeway. Uh, so, you know, writing established characters is fun for those reasons um, because it, it's it's challenging. It's pleasing to kind of iron out these wrinkles that we've seen in their previous lore. Uh, new characters are also really fun, obviously, because you can do pretty much anything with them. You can run in any direction with them. Uh, I think the disadvantage of new characters is that uh, each writer, I think I think all writers kind of have certain character qualities, certain psychological qualities they like to use or reuse. And so what happens, I think, with a certain i i know i know i have certain patterns is what i'm saying that i do with my characters so unless somebody forces me out of my comfort zone with like here's this established character here's what they're like work with it i'll i'll ultimately kind of probably revisit some of those yeah yeah unless someone comes up to you and says here's a character and they love sigmar (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. I feel like we're really over, overdoing that. Uh, but I started it. Um, so actually, to that end, then, so when we're talking about creating new characters, so how was it uh, for you creating the new character of Eldar Fallman? Um, what was? Oh, and I should say, Dar- Darth Alec had asked this question, not my question, his question. Uh, how was it to create an original character and develop him as it relates to Eldar Fall? How was that? How was that process? Uh, well, uh, it was fun. Definitely fun. Interesting. Um, sometimes difficult 
I think the most challenging and also the most rewarding aspect was kind of trying to figure out how can I make this guy likable or try to make him likable um, while at the same time, you know, essentially making him the bad guy, like chaos. There are no slaves to darkness that we can say are the good guys. Just right. again, looking from the top down. So how can you make this bad? How can you make an anti-hero really that, that, um, that readers really, that really resonates with readers uh, and that has good reasons to be doing what he's doing. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I trust that you can pull it off. So I'm really looking forward to finding out the answer to that question. Because um, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Very rarely do I find them sympathetic characters, but I know it can be done. Um, I have a question. Do you come up with the names for your characters? Or are those gone to the editor and you kind of work through them? Often we do. So, uh, you know, for Underworlds, for Nader, I did not come up with Kalthia Zandire or... Uh, Jorah's Giant Fell, or any of those names. Uh, but I'm trying to think, besides that, those characters, besides Andrasta, I think the rest have all been me. I've gotten some names turned down by the editors before. They're like, this this doesn't work, and this is why. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You are absolutely you're right. That makes sense. Um, Do you have an like, example off the top of your head? I'd love to know an example of that. Like, what? I'd love to yeah. hear a name that doesn't work. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm held in our fall was one that we worked towards. Uh, he had a few other names in earlier drafts, uh, and we eventually settled on that. Okay, wouldn't have thought of that. Is there connect any connection between Heldenar fall and Sigmar Helden Hammer? Hammer oh. is that an intentional thing that they're kind of fighting? Yes, yes, that is, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good catch, Paul. Now we need to know. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Uh, I didn't even think of that either. So that does lead into one of our other uh, questions from the patron. Um, Chris Ling, if you can, can you tell us a cool tidbit about Heldenar Fall that we don't already know? Oh, shoot. Uh, Mortal Realms exclusive they, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so have they read Crown of Flames? I, I would assume we we have read Crown of Flames, and I think uh, that he has also read Crown of Flames from uh, from his posts. Yeah, he has. Oh gosh, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to spoil something here. Give me a second. Or you could make something okay. up that isn't in either of them. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. just an unknown oh, yeah. fact about him. So, yeah. <laughs> so here's here's one. He likes uh, he likes jerky. He likes though he likes a certain type of jerky. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. I love it. Yeah. Who doesn't? Uh, well, I mean, actually, there's plenty of people who probably don't. But right, <laughs> I'm for it. I'm right there with it. Um, kind of a question about the the book can you tell us like when generally in the timeline does it take place is it like post era of beasts is it earlier in the timeline or is it like not really matter as much to this specific story so it's recent it's relatively recent um so i think i had started on this project uh just before bellacor summoned the curse or inflicted i guess the cursed skies on the mortal realms oh mm-hmm. gosh okay uh, okay so like all i'm always i think me and all the age of sigmar authors and also all the 40k authors are always looking for kind of t- references and time references to help readers with that uh, and so there's plenty of time references in the novel that's that show the reader like hey this is pretty recent Oh, good. Good, cool. good. Those are my, I love those. I'm a big fan of like, <laughs> doesn't need, I was going to say cement. It doesn't mean, need to be cemented, but like g- give me general uh, mm-hmm. context for that stuff. Cause I think it just helps me personally. And I think it does other people too. So that's neat. 
Um, does it take place in a certain? Does it take place in a certain place as well, or is this a realm spanning or realms spanning uh, tale that we're we're dealing with? Yes, here and God Eater Sun, we will be in action. Okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. and the great part. Except for that moment when he was on the mountain and then the mountain was somewhere else that wasn't actually, but then came back to actually. If I remember. Is that true? Can I read it that closely? I so so when he got on the mountain, it was moving, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, the Roman. There was mountain, a moment yeah. where he said, I'm somewhere else. I don't know where I am, but I'm not right. gonna think about this too hard. No, gotcha. And then they were back in action mm. again. Right. Uh right. So for that for that story, um, and again, I I think it helps that. We didn't spell it out too much, but uh, I, I imagine that that, that that mountain, that roaming mountain, kind of moved between realms. Mm-hmm. And so at that particular point, while he was still outside the mountain, uh, it had some kind of, it had sort of kind of, um, tele- I wouldn't say teleported, but it, it left the realm somehow oh. by some metaphysical hmm. means. Uh, and then maybe, and, and again, the way I envisioned it is that it returns. Uh, to the same places in the same realms at certain times, maybe not times that we would understand. Maybe the patterns are hard for mortals to understand. Uh, but that is the way kind of for me that it works. That's totally what I got from reading it. Is that like, this is just a known thing. And like, that's why the other character. Yeah. Danger <laughs> because it's going to keep passing. It might it's, be forever. Mm, and like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good example of like what you had said before of the mortal realms are so much weirder than you would expect to the point that, like even to this just human character, a uh, mountain that moves around and teleports between realms is normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not the weird thing in the story, the teleporting mountain. And, and, and he's willing to go into it, no less. I mean, not only is it commonplace, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I got another question about Held. So was it also conscious that Heldenhammer has a hammer, which would usually be used for smithing things and making things? But Held has a falks, which is something that might be used for reaping or for harvesting. That also <laughs> That's excellent. That's not intentional, no, but that is an okay. excellent observation. <laughs> That's why we keep Paul around is for these <laughs> connections, uh, for sure. Um, a, qu- a question, Darth Alicate had asked another question. Um, since we're talking about Crown of Flames, uh, he, he was wondering why you chose the prose style. Um, and it was like so like it was it was first person if I remember correctly as opposed to like a third person omniscient that you see in a lot of the stories. Uh, why'd you go that route? For for Heldenar, if you were to look at everything he does from the outside looking in, he would be a lot less appealing of a character. Like if we were to just judge him by what he had done in that story, we would not like him. You know? Yeah. But it, but if we can get into his head and kind of feel some of what he's feeling and think some of what he's thinking, he suddenly becomes a lot more appealing to us. Uh, that kind of was my intention at least. Uh, and so that's why I chose first person for him, uh, kind of with these really, uh, florid reflections. I, I get the impression that a lot of what's going to be driving the story is, you know, his, his personal motivations and stuff, I, maybe from the novel perspective as well. And I think it makes perfect sense then that like we, if we're going to be following along with him, we, we need to know like what's going on on the inside first to make sense of the events that unfold in front of us. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, again, I've been thinking about this recently since I, since really the novel's announcement, uh, even to today, I keep thinking, Heldenar 
uh, as much as I love him uh, and as much as I root for him and the stories I've written about him, uh, he's not really a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that sounds simple, probably. That sounds obvious. Um, but again, if we were to just judge him by his actions, as we should, <laughs> as mm-hmm. we should judge people by their actions, right. uh, he's not a great guy. And we can understand why he does what he does. Hopefully, uh, if I've done everything correctly, <laughs> we can understand why he does what he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you, you really got to get in his head to kind of be rooting for him. Sure. Yeah. Um, kind of a tie into that question in uh, Crown of Flames, like since we're li- like kind of listening to his mind, there's a lot of like very chaotic or destructive like symbolism or imagery that he draws upon with his thoughts. It's never like, oh, I took a stand, but it's more like I stabbed my post here, like very chaotic, violent stuff. Was that like, did you just have a lot of fun coming up with like new ways to like word how a chaotic person would view the world as opposed to how like we normal people would? Normal. Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) that's probably that is probably just how he sees the world. Right. I mean, uh, he's lived he's lived a pretty unforgiving, a pretty brutal life. And so the way he interacts with the world around him, as far as he perceives it, is also unforgiving, also brutal. So I, I have a question. It's it's about um, the Indrasa story. Mm-hmm. My question is, um, so Voyi is a super cool character, but like he brings a whole nother area to Age of Sigmar because we learn in that story that there was a whole other set of champions before we get to the Stormcast, um, which to me is fascinating. I read the Stormcast um, battle tome, and we have Bastion Carthalos that was alive during the Age of Myth and then ends up being reforged into a Stormcast. But now here we have this character, Voyi, that was given more supernatural char- uh, things from Sigmar and from Grungy, but it's still a relic of this other age that's been rejected. So like, where did that kind of idea come from? Where did the whole, like, you, you created a whole history that I now want to read. So where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, so I'd previously read this really interesting comment from, uh, or perhaps I'd seen it in a review, a video review, but they had basically said, you know, was this guy like a thunder warrior from 40 K for the, for the Stormcast eternal, basically the equivalent of 40 K thunder War- warriors in the mortal realms. And that's actually, exactly where i took the idea for boy from <laughs> what if there were you know thunder warriors that existed before the stormcast eternal which i think makes perfect sense um so that's the that's kind of the genesis of that idea is like thunder warriors but in age of sigmar right and then as far as you know does it belong does it fit in um i think again kind of circling back to the weirdness of the age of sigmar setting first of all anything's possible Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you look at other mythology that we kind of accept as as kind of canon, quote unquote, uh, like a lot of weird stuff happens in Greek mythology. A lot of weird stuff happens in Norse mythology and British mythology, uh, where people get these weird powers, um, you know, heroes and so on. And that was kind of that was kind of the deal with Vori as well. He he was kind of the same level of. Uh, hero adventurer getting these weird powers before Sigmar really got around to building a stormcast army. 
Um, as far as exploring kind of that era and exploring the interaction of other folks like Voy who might have existed, uh, I hope I get an opportunity to do that again because I also think it's it would be a really cool era to explain, even if we did it in the present in the same way that we had done it in the uh, in Drasta story. So we'll wait and see for that. So I just want to talk about how amused I am that you made Thunder Warriors for Sigmar when we have Lightning Warriors. Yeah. You did it backwards because you hear the thunder before you see the lightning. <laughs> That's fun. That's cool. That's great. Uh, um, you talked about uh, um, uh, when dealing with established characters, how sometimes maybe you get the opportunity to subvert expectations. Did you feel like you were subverting expectations in the in Josh's story there, like when dealing with the character that already existed uh subverting expectations insofar as uh Indrasta's behavior or voice behavior uh, i guess Indrasta's behavior because i guess we didn't have expectations of voice behavior so i'm not right. necessarily how to subvert them but yeah right right so Indrasta, uh you know from her first appearance she's pretty much what we expect right she's w- what's described to us in the in the lore um and then as, as far as the actual execution of the story, as far as subverting the reader's expectations there, yeah, that was, that was fun. Uh, it was fun to kind of <laughs> take, it was fun to take Andrasta out of her element, which is really at the goal of any story is to take the character out of their element and put them in a situation where they're, they're challenged in order to accomplish their goals. Sure. I really loved to some degree going into it. I think it might've been Maybe the first story I'd read by you, right? And like a first few pages into it, I'm like, all right, well, I know, I, I get, I know what this is. I don't, okay, I'll get through it. And then like things change. I'm like, oh, it, you, and what you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. That uh, situation, I, I remember just smiling once I, the, you know, the situation changed in that story. So mm-hmm. it's good. I love the duality of Yndrasta losing the spear and Sigmar losing the hammer and how they approach mm-hmm. it completely differently. And their siblings. Right. I mean, the Super weapons. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their siblings. Yeah. And so like, it was almost like a do-over, right? A bit of like, especially because Sigmar is sitting on his throne doing nothing, right? But mm-hmm. it's his chosen side champion. are you on, Paul? She's <laughs> late. I mean, all right. Paul, join the dark side. The yes. bit, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, in your previous podcast, I'd heard you, I'd heard your comment on that before. It was, really, it was awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Um just like a small thing, but I always thought it was funny. And Nader, like they're talking about Andrasta. And at one point, Calfia is like, oh, I didn't even, like I've heard of her, but I thought she was a legend. And it's just funny seeing something like that, knowing that you also wrote a story featuring Andrasta somewhere else. <laughs> that you're writing a character who's not sure if another character you wrote about is real. Yeah, the Mortal Realms are big. And the Stormcast Eternal are also a huge organization. Um, I mean, it's a... It's it's not the world we live in. It's a world of mythology. It's a world so vast that I don't know. I would I, <laughs> I would think that somebody sitting and actually might vaguely know that Hish is the sun, you know. But if they were to find out that people lived on Hish, they'd be like, "You are, <laughs> you are <That's> lying. <laughs> you are a liar." <laughs> and they'd be like, "That's impossible. That's the sun." Now I'm going to go to my flame fields real quick and harvest the flame yeah. corn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so speaking of Nader, what was it right like to write Misthaven? Like you said that you started reading, writing God Eater's Son right after Bellacor made the Cursed Skies, but obviously Misthaven had kind of been revealed at this point in the Broken Realm stories. So what was it like to write a story in that space? 
so I so I again I'd received a brief for Nader, so I kind of knew what Mist Haven was. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as writing the setting, you know, I just kind of I kind of took what I knew about Underworlds, uh, what I knew about Algu, and what I learned from my research, and just kind of ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Yeah. Does that yeah. does that answer your question? Yeah. No, I think it rings true. I, that's one of my favorite th- parts about the story is just the the introduction into a place that we've already known. It felt very much like we were there, and then. Um, moving into the underworld and everything. It was just super fun. So I really enjoyed it. Um, Kind of attached to that is like part of the brief. Is there like a style guide um, like of how to treat some of the other races, specifically how to get that perfect orky accent like you had for Manic and the Cunning Crew? (laughs) (laughs) Or do you just wing it? (laughs) So, so, uh, you know, as we're all Warhammer fans, so we're all kind of familiar with how orcs talk. Right. Right. Um, now, I think it's a little bit different for us because we're Americans. Like I, British mm. people really, really, they really internalize what like a, a like what an orcs out accent. They, they could read that and they could hear it perfectly in their interview. Right. Um, as far so as far as guidelines, there's not really anything beyond that and the feedback that you get from an editor. Uh, I was very pleased when I wrote Manox dialogue because Hannah also commented the dialogue, complimenting the dialogue <laughs> as well. So I was very pleased that I had uh, managed to nail it. And then you saved again as well. So thank you. Yeah, there needs to be like a a, a program or something that you could run through just regular dialogue. <laughs> it takes out, like it changes every word. I would like to this, do this, these seven this. things. Yeah, yeah, kicks it out. Um, and then like tangentially related, my one of my favorite factions or races in. Uh, Warhammers, the Hobgrats, and they like don't have any spotlight on them. So the fact that Krikrin would show up and all the Stormcast would go, oh god, him again, and then just get rid of him right away, just like <laughs> perfect. Chef's <laughs> <laughs> goes. Um, Davey's, Davey's not here to ask. Under Davey really wanted to be here, but he, uh, just the scheduling didn't work out. Um, so I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying. I want to come up some un- with Underworlds questions to ask. Um, and so you'd mentioned just. The, uh, what you'd known about Underworlds. How, how do you go about like deciding what to dive into or read into? Or for example, like how did you decide mm-hmm. to have to read more about Underworlds? Was it because they prompted you to write this uh, short story or um, is this something you were already digging into to begin with? Uh, yeah. So I, we had discussed writing the novella before I had any, anything more than surface exposure with Underworlds. So I, you know, I knew the game existed. I vaguely, I, I knew the premise of the setting that they were stuck in these, well, Underworlds, quote unquote, and that they couldn't die. Uh, and that was about it. And so then once, um, you know, once I was, once I said, yeah, like I'd, I'd love to write this novella at that point, it becomes research, 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 research. Right. So I basically got my hands on every Underworlds anthology, novella, what have you out there and just kind of burned through them. Um, I also looked at stuff outside of Black Library, a lot of Gothic stuff uh, to try and kind of capture the the oppressive feeling of being stuck there. Because, I mean, yeah, the, premise is, the premise is horrifying. I, yeah. I find the premise of Underworld is just absolutely horrifying. So you really got to channel that. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Underworld's reading, uh, which really communicated what it was like to be stuck there to me. Uh, and I, you know, that was useful for writing Nader and then also a lot of outside reading to just kind of, again, to help nail the atmosphere. 
Sure. For uh, of of the other underworld stuff that you had read, did any does any come to mind uh, that was um, inspirational or particularly informative uh, for the story that you wrote? And any favorites from the underworld's uh, space? Shoot. So I don't, you know, I don't remember the names of the short stories, but Dire Chasm, the anthology Dire Chasm was the one that probably stuck with me most. There were a lot of good ones in that that that, that just made me think I want to, you know, I need to figure out how to do what they did. Nice. <laughs> I need, I, so I really take the part they're writing and kind of put it back together again. Sure, sure, sure. That was a good one. Um, so I would like to talk about um, Huntress of Gur. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that just came out in the Conquest Unbound like a couple weeks ago. Um, so I really enjoyed that the first thing that happened was I read Huntress of Gur and I'm like, oh, it's another Yandrasa story by Noah. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> and I start reading it and it's not an Yandrasa story. So I, I enjoyed too. Yeah. that I was set up for that, especially because it's laid out in the book immediately after the other Andrasa story. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're writing it in this more first person. And was that an intentional thing because you wanted us to feel better about the character like you did with Held? Or mm-hmm. was that more of just like, this is what it spoke to me? Uh, more more of the second, definitely, uh, than the first. But that so that's actually the second story that I had written for Black Library in the first Age of Sigmar story that I had written. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that's funny. That, now it just come out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I think that there's like definitely there's a release schedule and there's it takes a lot of balancing. So a lot of times things will something you just wrote will come out immediately, and then something you wrote um, a while back will take you know a year or two to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as the narrative choices for that, that was actually that was experimental in a lot of ways. Uh, I had never written. I'd certainly never written a Warhammer story in first person before that. I don't know if I'd ever written any of my own stuff in first person before that. Um, so a lot of that was kind of writing to writing to understand Luda, writing to understand the setting from her eyes. Um, basically, for those reasons, it was easier to write first person than third person. Hmm. Um yeah, the timeline of like when you write something versus when it comes out is something that always interests me, especially with like Crown of Flames and then God Eater Sun. Like, do they at least for some of those give you a heads up? Like, hey, we want you to write a short story that will come before the novel, or like, do you? Do you mean not to dig too deep? But do you sometimes like not know? Like, oh, I want to write another story, but I probably shouldn't connect it to the first one because I have no idea when that's coming out. Type situation. No, it's often the case that they kind of give you a heads up. Uh, Like, you know, you know what's coming out soon. Uh, You know what uh, you definitely know what's coming out sooner. Cool. I I have a a writing specific question. Are you a plotter or are you a pantser? I used to be a plotter. (laughs) (laughs) I converted to being a pantser and now I'm becoming a plotter again. So I'm kind of... um, I'm now at the point where I think basically they're this, the two sides of the same coin. To plot is the pants, and the pants is the plot in some sense. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if you're plotting, right, you're pantsing the plot when you outline it, mm-hmm. right? And if you're pantsing, I mean, ultimately, you got to come back and figure out the plot again. So it's really, you're not one way or the other. It just depends on 
your taste. And for me, that's kind of gone back and forth. No one has any idea what you people are talking about. And then the second question I have is, so you kind of just rattled off the names of the main characters for your stories. So do these characters kind of live in your head or do you write them and kind of like let them go? Yeah, they definitely they definitely stay with you. Uh, and it's it's definitely the case that the longer you spend with one character on a project, the longer they stay with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's always nice to think of Calpia. It's nice to think of uh, Haldanar. Because, uh, well, for one thing, it's nice to know how their story ended and to know, uh, uh, you, you know, to realize that some kind of change was accomplished. Uh, and to kind of wonder what they would be doing now, to kind of wonder about hooks for future stories. Uh, it kind of feels like this is maybe a little bit uh, pretentious, but it feels <laughs> like kind of thinking about an old friend, wondering mm-hmm. how they're doing, if that makes sense. No, you're sure. like, stop at a decision and you're like, what do I do here? And then you're like, what would Heldenar do? That's what I shouldn't do. Right? <laughs> or if you want to get something done, maybe you do what he does, though, right? Like if you want to accomplish something. Maybe we all need to be a little bit more Heldenar in our lives. Yeah, um, we could all use a little Heldenar. <laughs> um, you guys have other like particular story questions that you guys want to ask Noah? Otherwise, we can jump back into some more like just writing questions that are out there as well. So what was it like to write Skaven versus Orcs? Skaven are hilarious. <laughs> Skaven are hilarious. Um, oh, gosh, that is a good question. I mean, obviously, they have completely different mindsets. Uh, like Skaven, you know, they're they're rats. They don't live long. Their lives are, and I'm not trying to condescend to Skaven. I don't want to offend any Skaven out there, but like their <laughs> lives are pathetic. Um, you know, so how it's like how do you how do you make a story about a character like that? Um, I, I, you know, I hope, I hope I did it well in, uh, ever queen mm-hmm. again, Hackwit. Hackwit is a, he's, he's, he's a funny guy. Um, <laughs> and then orcs, gosh, orcs. Well, I, when you, you know, when you mention orcs, like you got, re, I think you really got to separate the orcs between the different kinds of orcs. Cause I think they all think differently. Like it'd be, it, it would be unfair to kind of compare a cruel boy to a, to an iron jaw. Uh, so I can speak more about cruel boys cause that's what I've written. Um, but they're essentially psychopaths. They're sadists, you know, I mean, they're not They're again, they're one of those situations where I think you probably would not want to get into their head. You probably would not want to understand what they're thinking. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel bad about some of the traps you set up in the deer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they figured their way. They figured their way through it, though. Yeah, <laughs> all's well that ends well, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, on that on that note, I think um, it's really interesting because if you look at the traps that Manox sets up, and this says a lot about the Oryx, like their traps could be more efficient, right? Their traps could be a lot more efficient. They're obviously good at making traps, and if they were just uh, if they were just let's say hunters, if they had a hunter's mindset, they just wanted to take down their prey, they they could have easily probably beaten the storm cast because they were not playing fair but that's not all they wanted right they're again they're sadists they're psychopaths they wanted to cause pain and not just physical pain they wanted to cause pain on every level they really just took pleasure and um and making their victims suffer so yeah i thought 
Um, and Nader is a really good like example of that because she does something that's like not immediately go save someone. And the Hobgrat literally calls out like, boss, she's not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're dumbfounded when someone doesn't follow their plans. Yeah, exactly. And the, it, I, I think it shows also a malicious, uh, a malicious level of intelligence, right? Because they obviously, they see the Stormcast Eternal, they think we know how they're, what they're going to do, right? They're the good guys. Yeah. They're the good guys. And then um, obviously the Stormcast kind of defeat their expectations. Which works out for them. Yeah, yeah. More subverted expectations. Um, other specific story questions you guys want to ask? Um, I mean, the question I want to ask is kind of stealing a listener question from later, but we kind of talked about Skaven. We kind of talked about Oryx. Is there like another faction for Age of Sigmar you want to get into? And this is partially um, from Chris Ling from the Discord. So two. <laughs> There's definitely two. Well, three. Yeah. Okay, well, basically all of them is the, <laughs> that's the short answer, but as many as they'll let you. Yeah, um, but uh, I guess the shorter answer to that, or the the better answer to that now is I'd love to write Edenath. Edenath. Mm. I'd also really enjoy writing Greenskins, uh, particularly. Um, oh gosh, how did I forget their names? The Grots with the caves and the mushrooms. Mm, and the moon. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I would be yeah. all about that. That would be fantastic. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, so I'd love to write them. And then because, because I've been listening to your Ogre Battle Tome, uh, Matrat's <laughs> Battle Tome podcast, I'd now love to write Ogres. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a story about an Ogre chef like looking for the perfect recipe or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> Well, and there's a space for it. I feel like there's a gap in like ogre-driven uh, stories. So like, yeah, really definitely plant your weird meaty flag on that for sure. <laughs> Supply and demand. So one of the things that I noticed in Warhammer Fantasy Battles is you tend to have the perspective from a human or a dwarf or an elf, somebody that's kind of good, right? But in Age of Sigmar, we've kind of gone away from that. And so we're, we're getting bad character perspectives, right? Um, we're getting Heldenar, we're getting um, Luda, we're getting all these other characters. And so, like, is that something that you appreciate, that you're able to do, not just, like, the good guy perspective, but also not the not good guy perspective as well? Is that something that you think assists you in your writing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and this is this ties back probably to that tip uh, I made about open submissions, about doing something new. Like, it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity when you can take someone who's traditionally the bad guy and make them well the protagonist right you can make them the guy that the reader's rooting for that's always a really kind of delicious meal to sink your writing teeth into <laughs> speaking of ogres or Ideneth or moon clan <laughs> this one of them um, so what's the connection? What's the three line? Of those three arrows. Yeah. Well, you one. talked about how <laughs> you enjoy writing the stories about stuff that you might not know because there's problems to solve. So, what is a problem that you would appreciate tackling in one of those three races? Oh, geez. Uh, well, uh, the, you know, the simple answer is just that you know, from our perspective, that they're not the good guys, right? But if you're if you're writing a story from their perspective, obviously they are the good guys the way they look at it. So trying to make that logic work um, because it, you can, like the logic and there's horrible human beings out there. But if we were to somehow magically have like the point of view gun 
from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? And we shot them and we got their point of view. We would immediately probably understand <laughs> why they do most of what they do. Uh, so that's that's got to be for, you know, for any of those factions, that's got to be um, the biggest challenge. Um, kind of what's fun. And this isn't so much uh, a challenge. Uh, this is more kind of like a, a fan a fanboy thing uh, <laughs> is just kind of being able to kind of explore the lore, explore the culture, explore how it works. Right. Cause it's got to work. Like all, all these cultures obviously are really uh, sophisticated uh, in their own way. So it's, they've got to have really cultures that basically make sense. Right. All the parts have to fit together. So it's nice to have the opportunity to do that. Cause we know how human cultures work. We can, we can we can guess how dwarf and elf cultures work because we have certain expectations that are usually there uh, and you know just across all settings and that's I, I will say Warhammer definitely defeats that a lot of the time or subverts your expectations there a lot of times elves are not what you expect or dwarves are not what you expect but that expectation is not there with ogres or <laughs> uh, the moon clans or you know the Idanet they're not quite elves obviously so right. It's less there with them as well. So at the beginning, I know you had mentioned your Tau collection, and then you fell in love with the lore of Age of Sigmar. Is there an Age of Sigmar army that you collect, or is like writing for Black Library and writing for the setting kind of change that for you? No, not at this point, no. But that <laughs> will hopefully change soon, because I think I've got enough. So I lived overseas for a while. Uh, while since I lived overseas from then until when I were until now, after I returned, um, I've not really had a chance to kind of do the hobby at all. No war gaming, no painting, no collecting, no converting. Um, I want to get back into it and I want to do it through age of Sigmar rather than 40 K. So I've been looking at two basically. So, uh, slaves to darkness, obviously I want to make an army for held in our fall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have this dream of making uh, probably not an army, just like a just buy like a unit and then making yeah. punk cast eternal. <laughs> no, nice. <laughs> I think you, yeah. just, you just tweeted about that too. I think I must have been you saying it. Yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with this. I, I can't let it go. <laughs> so a punk cast eternal is what you said, right? Yeah. So what defines that for you? Well, I think mohawks, spike belts. Chain wallets, leather boots. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> probably like, well, I, you know, you see, you see on Twitter, you see a lot of uh, people do a lot of interesting things with the Stormcast, like the Stonecast Eternal and stuff. And so I think you could basically kind of do uh, like a really cool paint scheme with um, punk rock Stormcast, where you just kind of play on the punk motifs we see. Uh, and I think it would work. I think it would look really good on the board. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually Darth Halleck had asked us about if you played or painted. So I feel like we've touched on that, but then, uh, scripts had asked another question. Um, so outside of like the Warhammer hobby, do you have other hobbies or other things that maybe influence your writing outside of Warhammer, um, that, uh, are worth mentioning that, you know, somehow inform your writing process? Definitely. Definitely. Um, you really got to pull from everything, you know, to make your writing convincing, right? To kind of fill in, to add those details that bring life to something. And so for me, a lot of that comes most naturally from uh, exercise. I exercise a fair amount. Um, and I think there's a lot to draw 
on there, even though it's, you know, it seems, it seems pretty simple. Like exercise is a pretty simple mechanical like interaction with the environment, right? You run or like you lift something, but there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of mindset stuff um, that you can really tap into in writing, uh, especially when characters are really physically involved. Uh, so that's one. And then the second one, uh, this is probably more important for my writing is just my interaction with foreign languages. So, uh, I speak, uh, so I, I speak Russian and I speak Vietnamese uh, and I learned them as an adult. Uh, and I, I kind of fell in love with studying foreign languages. And so in university, for example, after I uh, finished my military service, I, I took a bunch of classes in linguistics to kind of get under the hood. And so I think if you've read Nader, you kind of see there's like some commentary on language in there, for example. Yeah. Um, it's it's present in uh, God Eater Son as well. So definitely languages. Okay, that's cool. Um, do you cool. wish there was more opportunity to like dive into, I don't know, whether it's language creation? I feel like Warhammer has this thing where most of it's just people are talking to each other in, in what I would consider English. Um, do you wish there was more opportunity to get weird and wacky with sort of the, the languages out there? Because it's, it's the sort of thing that's like a hallmark of other fantasies that we don't really see all that much in Warhammer all that commonly. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. I, I think uh, for fiction, it's probably, it's one of those things where you have to try to find line because you understand that not every reader is as into languages as you are, right? So you can't, <laughs> right. like, like, this is like the root of this word comes from this and this and this. Um, but it, you know, it would be really cool uh, would be to kind of write like a, uh, an encyclopedia of languages or something for Warhammer, if you could imagine, or um, as, on the age of Sigmar lore, the AOS lore subreddit, right? There's sage king who does a lot of work with uh the lexicanum and he published this phenomenal article on the languages of the mortal realm oh yeah i remember that yeah uh, he's pretty active in our discord as well uh so yeah. shout out to sage king um he uh he took over like ownership or moderating duties for me on the uh, aos okay. lore uh so it, it wouldn't exist or it wouldn't be the state it is in now if you hadn't done so so thank you very much sage king if you're listening because lord knows i wouldn't do it <laughs> so um when i think of fantasy when i think of languages i immediately go to tolkien right so my question is what Ooh. writers black library or otherwise would you say have most influenced your writing style oh that's hard to say that's a yeah that's another it's like a it's a big question it's difficult to answer um i think that uh, at a certain point for me, I probably the same with a lot of like adolescent young men is that Hemingway would have been my answer. Uh, so I, you know, I loved Hemingway when I was younger, uh, and Hemingway is really what made me a reader. But the more I read, kind of the less, the less I think I began to kind of. Um, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say admire or you know worship authors, but the the less I began to kind of think of their writing as a, a model for my writing. So essentially, this is a long way of saying that every time I read something, I, there's something to take away from that author, right? 
there's something small or something big to take away from that author and from their writing and to kind of tie into your writing to make you a better writer. And so for any, anything I've written, if you were to ask me that question, uh, I, I could give you probably a better answer. Like what, you know, what influenced this or what influenced that. But in general, it's just there. I would say they all do kind of everything I read. I try to pull into what I write. Some many parts that makes, that makes sense. Um, I, it's, uh, I don't know, noteworthy, interesting to hear you say that because I think, and it may be just because I read all your stuff sort of in a row, like recently, because I know I was going to be talking with you, but like to some degree, you have maybe one of the stronger voice, like Black Library voices um, in that, like, it's very clear when I'm reading a, a Norman Wynn story already. And I'm, mm-hmm. and out of what the, like the five AOS or give or take uh, stories that you have out there, there's like a very through line, very clear, like distinct commonality in the writing uh, across all of them uh, to say nothing of the Sigmar uh, whole thing that we were chatting about before. Um, and so it, it definitely does seem like you've got sort of this unique voice that may, may also be combinations of other things, but it's very uniquely yours. And so um, that's why I'm really digging all your stories and why we reached out to you to chat with you because uh, I was really wanted to pick your brain um, quite a bit, which is not to say we're winding down. I just wanted to seem like an opportune time to bring it up. Uh, that's, uh, that's great to hear because um Sometimes, again, a lot, another writerly insecurity is I, I think a lot of writers worry that they don't have their own voice yet. And I know academically, kind of mentally, I know I have a voice when I write. I know it's distinct. But every time I write something, I just think, oh, this is too much of this or too much of that. <laughs> this is this is not Noah. Uh, and then eventually it gets <laughs> to that point. I, I, I'm not the only one who thinks so either. I don't have their name, but just we, we talk about authors in, in, our, in our Discord. And someone unprompted had brought up the fact that like they had maybe posted something, like some expert excerpt from one of your stories. And it was particularly, um, what's the adjective I want to use? Yeah, not poetic, maybe in some ways. And they're like, I love this. And I, I don't yeah. even have the quote in front of me, but it, it was just like, a, oh, hey, guess what? We're going to be talking to him soon. So like, how, how neat is that? Um, I wish I'd remember to write it down but the point is is like yes it, it is that standout sort of it, it's clear when something came from you um to, in, in the best way possible so um we have another question from a patron of the show domir which is what is the kind of story you enjoy enjoy writing most as in like mystery thriller horror what genre do you think you enjoy most recently and this is directly tied to the release of the warhammer crime imprint Uh, Mm -hmm. mystery i would say mystery yeah Yeah, i think every every great story kind of without exception has a mystery in it you know whether or not it's a mystery story quote unquote so definitely mystery um i would love to try my hand at writing thriller or horror i'm ashamed to say that i've only i only have kind of table writing uh of any thriller or horror so stuff i've never shown anybody I don't have a reason to, but it's one of those, uh, it's one of those mountains I'm looking at on the horizon that I'd like to get to. So you have like a kernel of an idea of like what you'd want a thriller or horror story to be, uh, in Warhammer, or you're still trying to figure that out too. Definitely. I definitely okay. do. <laughs> it definitely. Perfect. I kind of feel like Nadir is a bit of a horror story. As you start reading it and you're like, Oh, they died. Oh, now what are they going to have to face? What terrible thing are yeah. they going to have to deal with again? Right. So, like, that definitely came through and, and resonated really well with me because I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll keep reading. I, I want to know what happens to the characters, even if it's terrible and horrible. And yeah. yeah. So. Well, and the traps are pretty gruesome, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, not a horror story, right? Like, to some degree. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize how scary that story was actually until I'd read it in cover. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, because I feel like any story that involves cruel boys has to have some horror element because that's how they operate. And then paired with Olgu, which is all about secrets and darkness. Like, even if you don't write it to be a horror story, it's going to come out that way just based on the setting right. itself. Yeah, the certain like psychological element of being in Olgu as well. Yeah, it all adds up. Um, did you read Black Library novels before you started writing for Black Library? Yeah, definitely. But again, it was only 40K until I'd gotten uh, introduced to Age of Sigmar by, well, when that, in that first story I wrote. And then after that, I started, I was like, well. Um, at this point, though, uh, as far as Age of Sigmar, I, I mainly only read for research. So it's hard to really find the... Uh, to find the time to kind of read for pleasure these days. I was going to ask, are you reading any Age of Sigmar right now? But I feel like that might be, it might give away too much then if you're only reading it for right. research. Um, <laughs> so I suppose um, I'll ask anyways, are you reading any Age, Age of Sigmar now? I'll fish. <laughs> at the moment, no. I, I At the moment, no. Okay, fair enough. Gotcha. Uh, so again, Damir has one more question. What Warhammer story would you retell in your own way if you could? Oh, wow. Oh wow! Um, so uh, I don't think I don't think I'd retell any Black Library stories, right? I, I don't think I'd retell any of those. But as far as like stories uh, in the lore that deserve exploration, stories that are covered maybe in the in the battle tomes, the army books, I would love to write. Uh, and, and this is probably this is probably not realistic, but I'd love to write. Um, a uh, story about maybe the knights preceding the Battle of Burning Skies. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yep. That's I, I, that's one of those things that I'm like, <laughs> this is like the Horus Heresy, yeah. but for Age of Sigmar, right? And we we know so little about it, and it's such an impact on everything else that followed. So. But better, yet yeah, better here, first, ladies <laughs> yeah, and gentlemen. Better than Horus Heresy. Better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had done some scrolling uh, to find the quote you were talking about, Aaron, just because I feel like Noah deserves to hear the praise some people in the Discord give him. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, please. It is from Chrisling. It is. It says, just finished Crown of Flames and bloody loved it. I think he's from the UK. Uh, the writing is dense with metaphor and oozes imagery. I love the style. I'm incredibly hyped for God Eater's son. It's so melodramatic, I'm grinning. And then he included a little a quote from the story that like really stood out to him as well. Uh, told you I didn't make it up. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> it feels weird me reading your words to you, but there you go. <laughs> uh, it is within a kernel of oblivion ached for even more. A treacherous fraction of the mortal soul craves annihilation. And this noble undertaking mine had come for me at last. Right. Isn't that a Noah event? Like, mm. it's your <laughs> quote? It totally is. Yeah. yeah. And it like highlights what I had talked about earlier about like, even like the way he sees the world is so like destructive and different from how like normal people would. Oh, you don't think like that? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I do, but I'm not normal people. That's so. <laughs> true. All right. Um, more, I think we're running out of listener questions. So do you guys have more questions you want to ask? No, oh, we got them. Um, what is it like being an American writing for a British company? Hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny sometimes when um, you're getting feedback from the editor. 
and they say, you know, this this is very American. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> is, we have a very British brand, and you you cannot say American things here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, is that true? Has, has that been has that been said to you? Oh, that's funny. No, not not in, oh. not in those words. I'm, oh, okay. gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just it becomes acutely you you become kind of acutely aware of how much you think like the English language belongs to America. When you talk to a British yeah. person or interact with a British person, and you know they say this is uh, this is pretty American, and it's a very definitely a very uh, British brand. I mean, yeah, just look at the spelling. I was just gonna, I was just gonna make a, a crack a joke about like you getting an edit back, and they just added a U to words right after yeah. the O, like color <laughs> you, and armor. Do you do just a find replace <laughs> color? <laughs> I I think I've gotten I think I've gotten pretty good at the British spellings because I you know I love. I love that. Like I grew up reading um, Warhammer stories. And so I actually thought for a long time that that's how you were supposed to spell those words. <laughs> Even though we didn't pronounce those words uh, that way um, in exactly the same way. All right. Any further questions? Yeah. I, I didn't know if your last question was going to be the last question we have from uh, the final listener, Chris Ling again, who left you the good review. Um, it's, it's a very important question, which is since we're talking about a Slaves to Darkness book, there's a lot of stuff going on with Slaves of Darkness, especially with the new Battletone coming out. And the question is, do you stand behind Archeon or do you favor Bellacore? You have to pick one. <laughs> Inquiry. I have to pick one. Yeah. Archeon. Archeon. Yeah. Okay. Archeon is definitely the best choice. <laughs> Archeon. But, but why? I, I was outnumbered. Rub, rub it in. Like, really uh, twist the knife. Why, why Archeon? Well, Bellacore... Mm, it's kind of a butthole in my <laughs> like I, I don't know he, he i he just doesn't play the game the way i play the game arcan's more my man sure yeah fair enough <laughs> so you heard here arcan not a butthole totally cool not a butt <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> bro <laughs> certified bro <laughs> oh gee um all right now i'll ask uh to any degree that you can tell us or answer interpret this question any way you want but uh what what's next for you coming up uh, so I'm happy to say I'm working on a 40k story at the moment. Um, as far as Age of Sigmar, I'd love to be able to revisit uh, Heldenar Fall. I, I'd love to. I think that there there's a real possibility I'll be able to. Uh, so that would say that's kind of the that's kind of the far fight now. That's kind of the dream is to come back to Heldenar and to see what comes next. So. Listener at home, let Noah live his dream. Buy three copies of the book. <laughs> exactly. Get the numbers going so we can <laughs> sure. get this happening. Sure, sure. And it sounds like Heldenar survives his novel. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a prequel book. Who knows? Or it's a prequel yeah. book. I mean, this is exactly. the moral ones. There's a million ways to make that work. So uh, yeah. We could tell a story about him in Shyish as well. After yeah, he's also. failed. Oh, yeah. He is. Yeah, yeah. no one's ever really gone. Um, all right, cool. Any... Final questions. Otherwise, we'll we'll nope. tape together some sort of outro for this. All right. Um, so, no, we appreciate you joining us. I had a great time. I think I count this as a great success. Author interview for sure. Um, <laughs> are there any parting words that you want to impart? Any final plugs or things you want to chat about on your way out? Oh, uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, you know, I would say buy ten copies of Help in Our Fault. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't, I was going to cover that for you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I'm really happy that you guys invited me here. I love, I absolutely love your podcast. I love the work you do. Uh, and you know, you, you say this, I think you say this jokingly about, uh, listening to your podcast instead of kind of plotting through 
like the previous 10 editions of army books, but actually your podcast is an excellent, I think an excellent kind of resource. Well, like I don't have anymore. anyone to talk to about the mortal realms about age. Right. Right? <laughs> uh, so I, I can listen to you guys and kind of like, kind of satisfy that kernel of oblivion <laughs> aching in my soul. Nailed it. So the trick is going to be is if we find any inaccuracies in his book based off of the wrong things that we've said on the show, we're going to start slipping in nonsense to see if it makes it into the next novel. Google uh, Fang will fit it out. It's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well, hey, we really appreciate you coming on. This has uh, been great. And I've, I've been thrilled. And I don't know if you guys want to say something similar or the opposite. That works too. No, no, it's been great. Um, um, it was fun to read the stories and then talk to you about them. I'm like, I, I feel like I, I can appreciate them more, and I'm really looking forward to Cotty your son for sure. So yeah, no, I was just gonna say, super excited for the book, and it's just a pleasure having you here, and it's been a blast. Yeah, thank you again. Really happy you guys invited me. Uh, I hope you enjoy the book when it comes out, and feel free to reach out anytime. Careful what you ask for, we'll do it. <laughs> but on that note, then let's let's wrap her up. Um, it's time for our reforging. Uh, but Sigmar Willing, uh, we'll be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Moral Realms. Uh, Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. Well, where can they find you? At Age of Sever. Excellent. I'm on Twitter at Dos Asos. And Noah, where can they find you online? I am on Twitter, but I forget my handle. Noah Van Wen, I believe. Nice, excellent. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. The end. Hey, that was fun. Um, all right, cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else we should talk about before we just dive right into it. It's probably, I don't know. If, are you on the East Coast? Like, is it getting late for you? Oh, yeah, I am. Where are you guys, by the way? Uh, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. Oh, my God. I always forget, like, that whole side of the U.S. exists. <laughs> 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 oh, I don't take it personally. Side. I live here. I forget, too. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah.